Have you heard of Anchor? It's free and it's so easy. If I can figure it out, pretty much anyone can. Create your own podcast from your phone or any device and they will distribute it across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms on your behalf without you having to do a thing. You can also make money without any minimum listenership or any required audience. Anchor is super easy to use, and all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Start your own podcast today. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast with Diana from Good Vibes Marketing and Morgan from the Cannabis Women's Alliance. I'm Diana. I'm Morgan. Hello. Hello. So we have a lot going on in the industry right now. It seems like there's something happening every second. And uh, I actually heard a really strange analogy the other day that it might actually apply. This guy who's in the industry said something like, cannabis years are dog years so if you're in the industry for like a year it's it's like seven years because of (laughs) all of the things that you have to deal with and everything that keeps coming up and all of the changes what what do you think morgan does that sound a bit accurate it really does i think it does age you this industry because it's so new and there's nothing no nobody's really done this before so how are we supposed to figure it out i total i don't know if it's seven years but i would think at least four or five years for sure for every like year cat years yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly i'd rather i'd rather have cat years <laughs> yeah me too i'll take a couple more well should we do the news yeah let's get into the news go ahead all right well here we go out in st paul minnesota One of Minnesota's two medical marijuana manufacturers is turning away some patients, blaming a delay in third-party testing of its medications. The problems at Leaflane Labs are causing issues for patients like Kelly German, who uses medical marijuana to treat her post-traumatic stress disorder, and others who may have to wait a week or more to refill their prescriptions. She told WCCO-TV she got up later that day but was told it would take at least six days. As hard as it is for me to go without it, you know, I think the patients who are far worse than me, it means being functional, active, being able to be a part of social groups, sleeping and eating. It's unclear how many patients may be facing delays in getting their medicine, but word of the pause in filling prescriptions has spread among several patients on a Facebook group for patients who's registered in the program. This is so sad. How can we deny our Americans their medicine? I know. I know. It's- I mean, what what are we doing? Like, there's people who are using it for cancer, glaucoma, seizure disorders, and they've suffered financial losses since the um, the, the manufacturers have suffered heavy financial losses since the program began in 2015. And these people are just um, trying to provide an outlet, an alternative that is beneficial, and they're not being motivated strictly by money, which is very rare in the healthcare industry. So. Why can't we just mm-hmm. let that happen already? <laughs> yep. It's like, look at, follow the fair. money. <laughs> right, exactly. They're just waiting for um, all the certifications of analysis to make sure that they're safe. 
So their labs are all being tested by a third party. And they apologize. Um, they don't want to camp- compromise, but they need they need to get their medicine tested faster and, and getting it in their hands better. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and some more ridiculous news. Um, Mart police and tickets for misdemeanor marijuana position, which is actually a little bit misleading because it sounds like a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) But in reality, Mart police will now arrest people stopped with unusable amount of marijuana, including misdemeanor amounts that could be addressed with a ticket and court appearance. Uh, Quoting this police chief, I don't think this is a problem isolated the city of Mart, but what I decided we are going to do is take a hard stand at this point right now that is the only stand i can take so mart officers enacted the zero tolerance marijuana policy last week in an effort to bolster the battle against drugs in the city of about mm. 2000 residents they only have 2000 residents i mean can you imagine that that's their main issue right now they only have 2000 <laughs> residents and this was uh, reported by the Waco Tribune Herald. So. Uh, yeah, that's just insane. Really, that's if that's their worst problem, I mean, I guess that's a good thing. But I kind of doubt that cannabis use is the, the strongest offensive uh, crime there in that town. Right. And I mean, with that small of a population, you would think that just allowing it to be would actually be beneficial for the community as a whole. In many ways. Yeah. Who was who it killed? Right, exactly. It's like, oh, so we're not going to follow the standard law. We're going to go even stronger and harder and make it more of a pain in the ass and destroy more people's lives. Ugh. Unbelievable. All right, we got to find some good news. I don't I don't think this story is going to do it for you either. Um. <laughs> Except for the fact that he's leaving. He's leaving. So, you know, let's keep that in mind. <laughs> New Jersey's incoming Democratic governor has promised to legalize weed, but how speedy Phil Murphy and the Democratic-led legislature can can do that, it remains murky. The effort's top legislative backers say they have a proposal ready to go soon after Murphy succeeds our favorite GOP governor, Chris, Chris Christie, on January 16th. <laughs> yeah, and Murphy's given no indication of backing off. He's he's full in. He's yep. full in. But already, key Democratic lawmakers are urging caution, and Republicans, of course, trounced in the election, look unlikely to help Murphy deliver on full legalization. Well, I mean, why should they? I mean, they hate banking and they love guns. <laughs> Groups supporting legalization say they expected calls for caution and say it's better to take a deliberate approach to engender as much buy-in from legislators and the public as opposed to ramming legislation through quickly. I mean, I get that. You got you want to be smart about it, but what else what else do you need to know? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's I think working. I think it I'm hoping it goes in the right direction. I mean, I've talked to my relatives in New Jersey and they're very they're they're feeling positive about this new incoming um, governor. So I'm hoping that he is able to work this out and they get what they need over there. Absolutely. I, I love New York and Newark and, you know, they, they can do it. They've got a democratic Senator uh, Ronald Rice. Um, he's urging caution, but wants to hold hearings and it says, you know, his biggest concern is access, you know, to children and impaired driving. And it's like, we get it. We right, got it. Right. You right. Know? Like, what else you got? Seriously, guys, come on now. I mean, they're really just holding on to, like, the very, like, 
minimum, the bare minimum, just to, I mean, I guess they have to do it as politicians to save face and say, oh, we're being conservative about it. Blah, blah, blah. But yeah. <laughs> it's well, getting a bit for ridiculous. For me, the worst thing is that it, Chris Christie calls it blood money. Mm-hmm. It says that, you know, he's criticized the notion of collecting tax revenue to help with the budgeting because it's disgraceful and disgusting. He said on a radio calling show last week, unbelievable. I'm glad he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Cause I mean, those we taxes could coach. do a lot. Yeah. They could do a lot of good for the community and to call it blood money is just offensive. It's offensive. Really? I don't know another okay. word for it. So I guess this is kind of good news. Um, a 60 year old woman was acquitted at Colorado trial over cannabis plant limits. Um, she was arrested in 2013, uh, for having more than 30 pounds of cannabis in her basement. And she, it was reported on Wednesday that her attorney argued that Colorado law doesn't limit how much cannabis someone can possess if it comes from a legal grow. Prosecutors argued that her name is Maggio, um, and her son, Javier Maggio, also charged for the possession, had more active plants than allowed. The jury sided with Maggio's attorney and dropped all counts against her. Unfortunately, Yay! yeah, but oh. they, they, they didn't um, drop all the all on, on the son. The son had to plead guilty in exchange for deferred judgment, and his conviction will be dropped if he successfully comp- completes probation. So, I mean, it's kind of oh. kind of good news, but unfortunately, he's going to have the record now. It sucks. And of course, he's a brother of color. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. What, oh, God damn it. It's what this war on drugs is all about. We still have so much. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, for sure. My weekly segment, Beauty with Barb. This week, we'll be discussing dry skin and hemp oil. Um, and I'm the co-host, Diana. And we're speaking again to Barb Stender, our licensed esthetician. Hi, Barb. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. So there's a lot to discuss in the realm of dry skin. Um, but my first question is, what is a common misconception about dry skin? Well, people think since they have dry skin that they have sensitive skin. Um, that's not the case. Dry skin is not hereditary, but simply your skin reacting to possible weather change, um, use of too much product or lack of product. So why does it matter that hemp is non-comedogenic and what does that mean? Well, hemp seed oil has a non-comedogenic rating of zero, meaning it does not cause pores at all, which makes it a great moisturizer for both oily and acne-prone skin types. Its fatty acid content helps create a protective barrier over the skin, which helps prevent moisture loss which is awesome. Yeah, totally. Yeah. How can hemp help conditions like dermatitis? Dermatitis is an inflammatory condition of the skin. The condition has forms of lesions um, such as eczema, vessels, papules, um, and, you know, comes more into the scientific names of the things that can go on in your face. Um, The three categories in this type of dermatitis, Contact, seboric, um, atopic, it goes 
there's a much longer list. I'm not going to bore you to mess with that. But hemp oil is great for people with eczema since the hemp oil is heavy in polyunsaturated fatty acids and omega-3 and 6. What role does the endocannabinoid system play in skin health? Well, it plays an important role in several skin regulatory functions. The cannabinoids found in cannabis can help medicate disruptions in the ECS by interacting with cannabinoids receptors found in an abundance on the nerve fibers and cells of the skin. Through interactions with the CB receptors, cannabinoids are thought to be able to help with the skin inflammation, pain, and itching associated with it. So it's really important when you're trying to treat dry skin conditions, right? Oh, for sure. Like psoriasis or, uh, like we mentioned earlier, dermatitis, eczema. Um, so does hemp, does hemp oil need to be applied topically to help dry skin, or does it matter which way? Not really. So it can be found in shampoos, conditioners, lotions, basically anything beauty-related um, that you could possibly think of. It doesn't need to just be applied topically. Um, you know, you name it, it can be done. So if someone were to ingest it as part of their diet, would that help with their skin as well? Absolutely. Just place a couple dabs underneath your tongue and... You can make that a part of your daily routine. Um, instead of vitamins, you could do that instead. Okay. And how can hemp oil help ease the symptoms of something like psoriasis? Well, the same way as it can help with eczema, the hemp oil will nourish the skin remarkably. People with psoriasis suffer from pain in their itchy skin. It's also more noticeable than eczema. Um, you get silver patches on the skin. Um, and... You know, like I said, the two of them are very similar, but psoriasis is the worst end of the stick. Yeah, it's a painful condition. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Our first guest today is Kate Guptill. Kate Guptill is the co-founder and vice president of operations and finance of Ecofirma Farms. Prior to founding Ecofirma, Ms. Guptill worked in finance for the Oregon Department of Justice and the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office. She then moved on to start a finance consulting business offering accounting service companies in Portland. In addition to her executive roles at Ecofirma Farms, Guptill continues to work intermittently as a cultivator. All right. So, Kate. In what ways did you apply your background in finance to starting Ecofirma Farms? Um, well, I handle all the money for the company, mm -hmm. and um, we've been building out our um, recreational facility for the last year and a half, so budgeting has been a big part of uh, my job. Mm -hmm. So having a background in that is, has been really nice because mm -hmm. uh, it's it's kind of second, you know, it's, it just, I know how to do it. And so we can focus on um, the new industry and the laws and rules um, without having to try and figure out how to do the budget and do all the finance. So um, it's helped a lot. That's awesome. I love it when you can take other, you know, experience and combine it with cannabis. It's really an amazing thing. Yeah. And finance doesn't really change right. industries. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. That's awesome. The budget's a budget. Yeah. 
Um, and so what does it mean that Ecofirma Farms is working toward becoming Oregon's first carbon neutral farm? Well, we're working toward that. So um, what it means is we're trying to leave the earth better than we found it. Mm-hmm. Um, we are 100% renewable wind energy. Uh, it's a big job and it probably will take years. It's it's just a goal of ours. Um, mm-hmm. But we have the we have the the wind power, but we also try to um, use all sustainable products in our facility. Um, we reduce energy in different ways. We recycle. Uh, we try to reduce our um, our travel, so we carpool a lot together. Um, awesome. We provide uh, food to our employees so that they don't need to go out to lunch if they don't want to. Um, just just different things and it's changing all the time. There's new things that come up and we just try to keep that up and work toward um, getting better and better. So you're actively making that your goal. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I, probably yeah. for everyone involved. A, I think. Yeah. It's an undertaking and there's things you don't even think about um, mm-hmm. that, that come up. And so you kind of just have to switch and change and it's kind of, it's an interesting, it's a fun, um, fun thing to learn about. It's challenging but fun at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So um, I I read that you are still in cultivation. Um, so what what keeps you working in cultivation despite your executive status in the company? Um, I'm not doing as much cultivation now that mm-hmm. we're at our new facility, but I still try to stay involved. Um, I love finance, and that's what I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to things that have answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and problems that you can solve and cultivation is the opposite of that. And Mm -hmm. so it's good for me. And I actually kind of enjoy it. It's a little out of my element, um, to go in and take care of plants There's something really soothing about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but as we get bigger and bigger, uh, have less of a role in that, but I still, I still squeeze in there and help them out, um, when I can. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, is there any advice you have for women and femmes looking to get into cultivation who have no idea where to start? Or even if they have a financing background and they want to get into cannabis, I mean, if you have something along that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different jobs in cannabis that is not um, as a gardener or owning a dispensary. Mm-hmm. You could be you could have a strong background in finance or marketing mm-hmm. and um, get into cannabis. But I would say go start with your strong suit. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe get into the industry a little bit and find find out where you might want to move around. I don't know. Um, I would say that that's really for anybody, um, but it's a lot. It's a lot of work, and things are changing constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, like not having banking, um, the laws change. So it's really interesting, but it's also a challenge. You have to you have to be on top of the industry at all times. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. So going in with something that you have a background in um, might be the best way to do it. And then just explore from there and maybe, maybe you end up as a gardener. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and what is your favorite aspect of working in cannabis? My favorite, I think, is, is the fact that it's, it's out of my element. It's not finance. It's, it's something that there's, there's not necessarily an answer Mm-hmm. to um, maybe if there's a problem or the plant doesn't necessarily do what you want it to do just because you followed the same steps you did last time. And I like that. It's, um, it's different for me and, and you, you learn um, as you go. So like the unpredictability of it. Yeah. You on your toes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Right. There's a lot of it. (laughs) Even if you're not touching the plant, there's a lot of it. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So do you have anything specific to promote? Any um, particular products or events or anything that you guys have coming up? My favorite product of ours is our Pachecos, which Mm -hmm. is a, um, a, it's not a pre-roll, but, um, it's a filtered, uh, all flower, uh, smoke. Mm -hmm. And we've been making those for years. I like them personally because you can, um, have one to yourself and you can go outside and smoke a Pacheco and come back in. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's easy. They're convenient. Um, we have different kinds, different levels. Mm -hmm. So I happen to like things that are a little more energetic and not so couch lock. So we have four different types. We have a CBD, um, a real heavy hitter and then, uh, to kind of middle of the road. And, uh, and I'm always promoting that just because I have a, I'm drawn to that more, but, um, we have a lot of, we're just starting to harvest at our new facility. We have new strains. We have a cherry pie OG. That's pretty amazing. Um, so we just entered uh, the Cultivation Classic here in Oregon, and we entered a couple of our strains there. So hopefully people will be seeing them. Nice. Hopefully we have some winners there. Yeah. Awesome. That's really cool. Well, thank yeah. you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Our next guest today is Emily Burns. Emily became passionate about pursuing a legal career in the cannabis industry while attending Vanderbilt Law School, as she had the opportunity to enroll in one of the nation's first marijuana law and policy courses, taught by leading marijuana law and policy scholar, Professor Robert Mikos. Emily soon began assisting Mikos with writing a first-of-its-kind casebook entitled Marijuana Law, Policy, and Authority. She then acquired in-depth knowledge of the various state regulations governing cannabis consumers, producers, and other third parties. In addition to having expert knowledge of the complex legal issues presented by conflicting federal-state laws, Emily is also involved in policy reform efforts at the federal level. So, Emily, what inspired you to pursue a legal career in cannabis? Well, I initially signed up for a marijuana law and policy course during my second year at Vanderbilt Law School um, out of curiosity. And at the time, I was not pro or um, opposed to legalization. Some learned more about the interesting legal issues presented by conflicting federal state marijuana laws. So it was really during, I guess, halfway through the course, that it occurred to me that this would be the perfect practice area for someone like myself who has a background in public policy because it's a completely new field of law mm-hmm. and it is um, incredibly nuanced. And I thought it was an incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really help shape and develop an entirely new legal field and practice area. So where many saw risk, I saw opportunity. Awesome. And, um, and so I thankfully... My marijuana law professor at the time, Robert Nikos, happened to be uh, starting a first-of-its-kind law school casebook mm-hmm. on marijuana law and policy issues, and that is called uh, Marijuana Law Policy and Authority, available on Amazon now. <laughs> um, and so I spent really the last year or so of law school working with him on the book. So this involved researching the various state laws and regulations governing cannabis consumers, producers, and third parties like physicians and attorneys. Um, And then I also explored more policy-oriented issues like 
is legalization associated with an increase in actual marijuana use, mm-hmm. or does legalization increase the number of traffic accidents? Wow. And then um, one of my favorite research assignments was actually, and it's a very nuanced uh, issue because the legal and scientific definitions of cannabis is different. Mm-hmm. So it really helps that I had the chance to explore not only the legal, regulatory, and policy issues presented by legalization, but also the cannabis sativa plant itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed learning more about the botany and, you know, more chemistry aspects of things as well. So it taught me a lot. Yeah. And then it really was um, the fact that I had this incredibly uh, unique opportunity and experience that allowed me to really pursue a career in the cannabis industry because at the time I graduated, there weren't law firms that were interested in this area, or even if they were interested in this area, they really didn't have that firsthand knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so writing the book was really such an incredible opportunity for me because without it, I know that um, I, I'm not sure that I would be able to feel comfortable going to law firms and saying, you know, I really have this expertise and um, I'm really confident in what I know. Mm-hmm. And so I was grateful I was in the right place at the right time and happened to be the right person mm-hmm. uh, to pursue a career in the industry. Did you um, do a lot of research work for this in in Maryland where you are located? I mean, was it is this more of a national policy book? How many people could benefit from reading it, would you say? Oh, um, yeah. So it is a um, accessible to lay people as well as attorneys law, and law students. It is. Um, it does not deal with Maryland law specifically, although there are you know, references to Maryland law. This is really a credible, first of its kind reference and resource for anyone world that's interested in marijuana law policy issues. And it really covers everything. You know, banking. It covers uh, federal tax issues. It covers regulations at the state level, and then, you know, broader policy issues for states that haven't even um, passed legalization. It's, you know, what do states consider? Mm-hmm. And what are the different conditions that states have approved for medical cannabis use? And what um, are the various, I guess, legal considerations states must consider um, when, you know, debating whether to legalize cannabis? Mm-hmm. So in terms of federal interference, um, and because it's really an issue of federalism, the federal government does right. not require to enforce federal law. Yeah. So if anybody who's interested in marijuana law and policies should really check this book. Awesome. I'm definitely going to do that. What are some of the more interesting aspects of your legal work in regard to cannabis? So something interesting I just worked on um, is drafting an FDA disclaimer for a client that is selling CBD oil to clients. Mm-hmm. or consumers, um, because recently the FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, announced that the FDA was weighing whether to crack down on the industry, especially when people are using unsubstantiated health claims mm-hmm. to market and advertise marijuana products. Mm-hmm. So this is an example of why it's important to be able to identify legal issues ex ante and before they actually become a problem mm-hmm. for your business. So in this case, there, you know, when I drafted this disclaimer for our client, the FDA had not announced it was weighing whether to crack down in the industry. But I knew from reviewing the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act that there are certain um, marketing and advertising provisions that would apply to the cannabis industry. 
So even though FDA is not involved in regulation of the industry, you want to be able to tell your clients ahead of time, hey, this is a good idea to have on your website to prepare for an FDA crackdown. Absolutely. So um, it, was, it was a really fun assignment because I, ha- I got to have fun with it. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, it, the fact that the FDA has not approved any product for um, any disease or indication um, does not necessarily mean that the FDA believes that marijuana could not benefit or um, treat any disease or condition. It's just a, it's catch-22 at this point because marijuana remains illegal at the federal level. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of fun sort of uh, being a little bit snarky and um, coming up with a disclaimer that calls, you know, FDA and DEA out on the fact that they, you know, have yet to really address the fact that marijuana, can't, marijuana research cannot be conducted at the federal level. Right. So our client is put a disclaimer. Um, I also got to, you know, reference uh, resources um, and scientific studies that demonstrate the potential medical benefits of CBD, wow. um, particularly for Dravet syndrome. So I had a lot of fun sort of, you know, explaining the law in a very straightforward, um, easy-to-understand manner. Mm-hmm. And being able to tell um, consumers, hey, this is why we can't technically say what mm-hmm. our product does. But you, you know, find ways around it, kind of? like. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, but this is the information we have available, so, you know, come to your own conclusion. Right. Um, I think that's really a fun thing to do, yeah. and it was one of my favorite assignments. It's very clever. Um, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. And so, and, oh, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I oh, I was going to say, um, I another fun thing that I recently, um, we just learned that one of our clients got approval um, from their local um, government to move forward with the marijuana popping facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's out in Oregon, in Columbia County, Oregon. And so I prepared a testimony, written testimony for a local land use hearing. And so a lot of the questions involved health and safety concerns of residents in the neighboring communities. So I was obviously, you know, really excited that the information I provided was helpful. That's and, huge. You know, That's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. Right. Cause it's really something I worked with a lot is being able to respond to people's concerns and not dismissing outright anybody who has concerns about legalization or the you know safety risks involved. These are legitimate concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm there. I'm not one to you know say, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about or it's not really that big of a deal. It's important to say, you know, we don't know. We don't have all the answers yet, but that does not mean that this move forward or that it's not a good idea or that there aren't adequate safety regulations in place to ensure the protection of the community. Right, right. Might as well just cover all those bases so that you look like, not they look like, but you are showing in good faith that you are trying to do everything. Yeah, that's very important. What would you say is the most challenging part of being a a lawyer in the cannabis industry? Well, I think it was at first uh, difficult to stay true to um, myself mm-hmm. as I initially pursued a career in the industry just because I'm not only – as a young female attorney, I'm not only facing, um, you know, judgment as someone entering the cannabis industry, but as a younger attorney mm-hmm. who hasn't been in practice for 10 years. Right. Um, there was a lot of skepticism as far as, you know, how could you know anything mm-hmm. um, about the industry? And it's obviously, it's been through, you know, just showing my work and you know, speaking up and saying, well, I wrote a book on marijuana law and policy, so I do know a lot. Right. <laughs> um, and not, 
no one can really say that. Um, and so I think that was definitely, it was hard uh, to sort of remain confident in myself mm-hmm. and follow my intuition, right. especially when you have um, an opportunity to pursue, I don't know, a more traditional career path doing commercial litigation or, you know, uh, commercial business law. Mm-hmm. Those are obviously going to be more um, safe opportunities. So that was definitely a challenge at first. I think now uh, the challenge is really making sure that I am not uh, violating any legal ethics rules just because the um, every state has requires attorneys that are licensed to practice in that state to comply with legal ethics rules. Mm-hmm. The state has some version of a rule that basically says you cannot uh, advise clients on illegal subject matter. Oh, wow. So in the case of cannabis consumers or cannabis businesses, the, um, a lot of courts have said that it's okay to provide legal advice so long as you are not advising clients on um, how to, I guess, break federal law. Wow. And so, and as long as you're being fully transparent and saying, this is still illegal under federal law, so any information I've given you in terms of regulatory compliance and how to maintain your business, um, it, I am not, you know, advising you on how to um, get away with violations of federal law. You are still in violation of federal law. However, you know, these are the certain state regulations you need to follow. This is what you need to do in order to protect your cannabis business um, from enforcement proceedings, et cetera. So it's definitely, you know, being able to remain an advocate, a client advocate, Mm -hmm. but also mindful of the fact that I am representing clients who are violating federal law Mm -hmm. and therefore want to be uh, known for not, um, you know, being truthful and honest, or at least me, my reputation um, is important to me. So I'm also, you know, as much as I am an advocate for the industry, I am very mindful of the fact that I'm still towing a very fine line, Mm -hmm. um, ethics obligations. So it's very it's challenging sometimes because even though I want to say, oh, it's ridiculous that, you know, the federal government, it's ridiculous that right. marijuana was at the federal level. It's ridiculous that marijuana um, includes CBD products. Right. But as a matter of law, that's the case. And right. that's and that's what you do. So you have to protect yourself as well as everyone else. Correct. But yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, and it's the truth. The thing is, at the end of the day, I'm not interested and telling people what they want to hear so much as what, what the law the is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, do you have any advice for women in the legal field who wish to practice cannabis law, like maybe switch over? I mean, I know it's not that easy, but. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is one of the first industries that I think will be led by women. And I um, definitely encourage women to get involved now. While um, all the you know traditional white male law partners mm-hmm. are you know yeah. staying away because they tend to be more risk averse, um, and I would definitely encourage anyone in this field to first buy the book, um, and you know if you're interested in learning more, but also to remember that just because things have been done a certain way, or just because your law firm says that you know we don't want to get involved in this area doesn't mean that they're right, because I think a lot of times it's easy to, um, you know, someone's been in practice for 30 years, and you assume that they know everything, and they must have all the answers, et cetera, but the truth is that it's a budding legal field. There aren't any real answers at right. this point. It's all argu- arguable. 
Right. So it's important to speak your truth and not feel as though you are limited just because, you know, a law firm or law partner says that this isn't going to happen, legalization isn't a reality, et cetera. The truth is that it is. And it's important for women to get on board um, now Mm -hmm. before the money-hungry corporations Mm -hmm. and um, corporate interests take over. Start to, right. Yes, take over. Um, and I guess another thing I'd say is that uh, women should, a lot of women don't realize that we played a critical role in repealing alcohol prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically through the Women's Organization for National Prohibition Reform. So at the time, uh, Colleen Sabine and her fellow females challenged the hypocritical white male politicians who lauded alcohol prohibition laws by day and then got drunk by night without um, any remorse. Right. So I think <laughs> women should definitely um, be able to see a um, comparison between that and what we have today, which is, you know, seeing wealthy investors like Peter Thiel, Roger Stone, right. um, and Jim Hagedorn of Miracle Grow investing millions of dollars into the industry without fear you know, repercussions, mm-hmm. and yet desperate parents searching for alternative treatment options for children suffering from um, revetment. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, to think that they still face arrest and possible prosecution for possessing non-psychoactive, high CBD, low THC products like Charlotte's Web, to me is very, um, you know, concerning. Mm-hmm. And it should really, I mean, I think women can really emphasize with these parents um, more than anything, um, that it's, it's incredibly hypocritical mm-hmm. and disturbing that we have such a discrepancy um, in the law right yeah. now just because, you know, uh, centuries ago, right. Henry Anslinger decided that marijuana should be illegal. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything specific to promote or any calls to action? Um, so I think one thing I've noticed is that at this point in time, we have a lot of different uh, factions within the industry. So we have uh, banks that are interested in serving marijuana businesses. We have a lot of ancillary um, services, you know, insurance providers, um, loan, uh, financial loan service providers. We have um, people who want to provide lighting and, um, you know, uh, greenhouses for the industry, et cetera. And every single person is basically on board with legalization off the record. Mm-hmm. But it's come to a point where people who are benefit, anyone who could benefit from legalization needs to, you know, have enough conviction to stand up and say, truth is that we need to legalize cannabis at the federal level to move forward. Because it's not fair to say that, you know, we should only change the law so that financial providers don't get in trouble for serving marijuana businesses. Absolutely. Or we should we should only change the law so CBD, you know, parents who want to provide their kids with CBD oil can have access to. No, the truth is that, you know, at the end of the day, there is one thing that can change the industry and help it move forward, and that's removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act or from Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substances Act. It never should have been there in the first place, and it's ridiculous that people keep coming up with, you know, different solutions to these legal problems when at the end of the day, they all are, you know, relying on the fact that marijuana is illegal at the federal level. Once it's legal, it's, the cannabis industry will be treated like any other industry. Mm-hmm. 
we will have access to intellectual property rights, we have access to funding and banking, et cetera. And it creates jobs, it creates, um, you know, it really benefits the economy at the end of the day. Yes. And it's, it's truly an economic argument um, for those who are still resistant. And I would encourage people to really uh, promote the economic benefits of legalization and um, also point out the sort of irony and, you know, Republican GOP politicians who, you know, are always talking about Big Brother and, you know, big federal government mm-hmm. and say, you know, claim, don't trust the government, you know, never trust the government, when the only thing they trust the government on is research of marijuana. Right. I mean, <laughs> think about it's just, yes. it's sort of ridiculous. Yes, it's very um, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely think it's important to promote these different arguments um, to people who may be opposed to legalization, because at this point, I'm tired of hearing the same old, you know, complaints or arguments. Mm-hmm. about how legalization is, you know, harmful or it shouldn't be, you know, a national policy. The truth is that, no, these, these aren't legitimate arguments. We need to move on mm-hmm. and just, you know, legalize cannabis at the federal level. Absolutely. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally recommend people checking out the book, which you said is on Amazon, correct? Yes, okay. and it's available um, in a traditional textbook version and also for download on Kindle. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Emily. I really appreciate everything that you told us. It was very informative. And I'm happy to share my thoughts with everyone. Thanks for listening to Your Highness Podcast, brought to you by Cannabis Women's Alliance and Good Vibes Marketing Agency. The Cannabis Women's Alliance was founded to bring community, guidance, and inspiration to women working in the cannabis industry. Good Vibes Marketing Agency is a digital marketing agency that creates organic content for organic solutions. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us at yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, you can email us at yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com.